0: But this show will continue to help you understand the things that affect your health while looking for unexpected discoveries along the way. It will also explore thought-provoking ideas and questions like this one. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss.
1: Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Today, we're going to explore
0: the unique health challenges facing men in their 40s, the importance of proactive health care, and why it's never too late to take control of your personal health. Proactive healthcare includes checkups and screenings, testing and seeking treatment early when we experience concerning symptoms. That's a great way for us to detect health issues before they escalate. But a 2023 survey by Cleveland Clinic found that almost half of men, about 44%, do not get an annual physical exam. Men in this age group, in their 40s, are starting to grapple with many pressing health issues. This might be the first time they're being diagnosed with conditions like cardiovascular disease, diabetes, high blood pressure, obesity, and mental health concerns. Although it's crucial for men in their 40s to adopt a proactive healthcare approach, many take a more reactive approach to their health. For some, they might feel invincible and believe that their health problems won't happen to them. And for others, medical care may not have been a priority until a health crisis arises. For today's episode, we'll discuss the importance of scheduling regular checkups with a primary care physician, and undergoing recommended screening tests based on our age and health history. We'll also talk about the future of primary care with a discussion about health tech, including wearables and AI. It's our hope that the topics we cover today will inspire you to take control of your health and start taking proactive steps to manage your well-being today. Dr. White? Well,
1: thanks for having me. I feel like I should just say an Amen to all of what you just said. so a resounding yes to all of that.:
0: So I'd love to jump in by asking you about what you hear from your patients with regard to what might be preventing them about taking this proactive approach to their health.
1: I think it's some of the things that you alluded to. There are some cultural and societal norms that men think they need to be strong, that they don't want to be ill. Sometimes there is this concept of fo fear of finding out. You don't want to know if you have heart disease. You don't want to know if you have diabetes because you're not ready to change your life. So if you don't find out, then you don't have to do anything about it. I think there's also time constraints too. You know, At that time in their life, and I remember that during my time, I might be a little older than that now, is that you're focused on your family. You're focused on your career. They're not thinking about screening for disease. So it is that awareness as well with these other factors. And let's be honest, sometimes it's hard getting a doctor's appointment so to, to, first of all, find the time to make the appointment and then to actually go can be challenging.
0: Let's talk about what you just said. So what are some of the common health risks, some of the things that we really need to start talking to our patients about when they're entering yeah. this age? Range?
1: I think one of the biggest ones is obesity, and we know there's an obesity epidemic. And as we get older, most of us automatically gain weight. Either our basal metabolic rate has slowed down, we're not exercising as often, may not be eating as healthier anymore. So we're gaining weight, and that's going to put us at risk for significant diseases. High blood pressure is a condition that is going to increase risk of heart attacks and strokes dramatically. And it may not do that in your 40s, but you may actually have it in your early 50s, whereas later on, it might have taken a longer time or you could have prevented it. And I even see high blood pressure in a lot of 30-year-olds, and they're always surprised by that. You know, we know the issue of prediabetes in terms of elevated blood sugar, partly because of that inactivity that many of us got used to during the pandemic, as well as the amount of processed foods that we all consume. And I just want to take a minute, and I'd love your thoughts on this. When men do come in, they often will say to me, Dr. White, test my testosterone, right? That's what they're thinking. And I do, but I say to them, but your biggest issues are high cholesterol, high blood pressure, high sugar, excess weight. Those are all the things that are going to lead perhaps to early death and challenges later in life. But they're not always right at that concept.
0: I love that you brought that up because I think it really speaks to meeting people where they are. So as we're having these conversations, even not necessarily in the exam room, but as we're having conversations with men in their 40s in our lives who we love, trying to identify what is it that is really a daily concern for them to bring them into the exam room so that we can then proactively check some of these parameters.
1: Absolutely. And I never dismiss anyone's concerns when they come in. We talk about it. I suggest some other ideas. And it's really, as I know you, also believe in the shared decision-making. How can I make them better informed and then talk about what's that best treatment strategy for them?
0: So let's start with blood pressure. How frequently should men be thinking about getting blood pressure checked? And what are we thinking about with regard to normal parameters?
1: You know, I'm a big proponent that we need more frequent blood pressure monitoring. Too often we do it once a year when they're in the doctor's office, or we do it once every other year or once every three years when they come back. I really encourage most patients in their 40s to get a home blood pressure machine. You know, many of them are affordable. I always tell them to watch a video, hopefully on WebMD, about how to check your blood pressure because many people don't do it properly. But I would argue your blood pressure at home, accurately taken, is much more useful for me than it is once a year when you come in. And I actually do my blood pressure. People can't see, but I have one on my, on my desk and I check it a couple times a week because I know that is a huge risk factor. So certainly you should be getting that checked every time you go to the doctor's office, at least once a year when you're in your 40s, but you should be doing it more often at home. And we have the capability to do that.
0: Such a critical point, because what I often find, I'd love to hear what you think about this is folks will come in for their annual checkup. If their blood pressure is elevated, it's very common to say, well, I'm just stressed about being here. And without having more data points from your day-to-day life, it is hard to sometimes make that assessment depending on that sort of gray range that you're seeing. And then people say, well, give me another chance. Let me come back in. And that's where you may not follow up. So I, I love that point.
1: I see it all the time. And it's five years late. We'll be back after a quick break.
2: Go get a load of that happiness because happiness is healthy as we know it. Join us every week as we continue to provide you the best of health and fitness wellness updates from around the globe. Enjoy the show.
1: And now, back to our episode. When they're finally getting started, even though they've been elevated for many years. And I'm at a system where I'm able to look at data over time, which is great. And I will say, but six years ago, you were told you had high blood pressure. And they're always like, is it that long? And you know we laugh about it, but it really does increase their risk because they're not feeling symptoms, right? It's rare that people get headaches or dizziness from high or low blood pressure. So they don't really like that idea that they're gonna have to take a medicine perhaps for the rest of their life. But what I try to talk to them about is the data that we have that's gonna reduce your risk of heart disease and stroke.
0: Thank you for making that critical point because it really is called the silent killer for a reason. And it's really hard to stick to the routine of managing a condition that may cause you problems much later in life, but I think really informing people about why is so important. So let's move on to cholesterol testing. What are your recommendations around cholesterol testing?
1: You know, typically the recommendations, and they can vary a little, whether it's the American College of Cardiology, American Heart Association, American College of Physicians, family physicians, and sometimes that creates stress on people because they don't know what are the right guidelines. But typically around 40 to 45, you start checking a yearly lipid panel. Which is that total cholesterol, but also the good cholesterol HDL, the bad cholesterol LDL, and the triglycerides. But you know, I asked them about family history too, because if you had early heart disease, typically in your 40s or even your 30s, then we need to be measuring that earlier. And folks might even want to ask about this lab called lipoprotein little A, which is what we look at in terms of perhaps genetics a family history of elevated triglycerides. And I'll tell you, in Europe, they measure it once. You only need to have it once. In the United States, we don't do that. But that's something to consider because having elevated cholesterol, particularly LDL, is a huge risk factor. And I'll tell you, I see so many patients that are not having their LDL, that bad cholesterol, at their right target. And our thinking really has changed In the past few years, it's not just total cholesterol. And I'll tell you, that's for me. My total cholesterol was kind of borderline all the time, but then my LDL was high. And that's finally why I said, hey, I should be on statins or something to lower cholesterol.
0: I think that's a major point. And I'm just thinking also just from a South Asian background, there are risks to folks that they don't necessarily recognize that for some of us, even at a younger age, we're at higher risk. And some of that has to do with where our bodies are depositing that excess weight and our insulin sensitivity. So I'd love mm-hmm. it if you could talk a little bit about that piece.
1: I mean, the other aspect with that, along with weight, as you know, many people, particularly men, don't see themselves as overweight, even when they are overweight. A lot of times they'll say to me, oh, Dr. White, I'm not overweight, I'm muscular. Sometimes they are, but a lot of times they're not. Sometimes I have to have that conversation. So it depends, as you said, where that distribution of excess weight is, because that's going to impact the response to insulin. And that's really an important component. And then, you know, our understanding of cholesterol, the genetic aspects of it has changed over the last few years. We always thought it was mostly about diet. And there is a big component of diet, but there's also a component of genetics so that's what I focus on as well. And I calculate an ACC, AHA, or Framingham, you know, risk on most men and women. And a lot of times they had never heard of that, but that's really important to remind patients as well to get your risk score calculated for heart disease, because that's going to help decide what you need to do.
0: Yeah. And I love that you bring that up because I think that having that number, that metric to share with somebody and really make it real in terms of over the next 10 years, this is your risk. What are you visualizing to do in those 10 years? And that's really where, why we're concerned and why we want to start this medicine.
1: Now, sometimes perceptions of risk are different. I've learned over the years, because I told a patient the other day, your risk of dying up from a heart attack in 10 years is 9%, which is, you know, at 7.5%, we really start to think about treatment because that's moderate risk. And he was like, that's not too high, Dr. White. <laughs> I was like, well, if you think about it, and, and it's a risk that changes over time. So as you continue to get older, your risk is going to increase. But but that's the whole point that I know you and I share the same belief. We've got to empower people with information. We can't talk down to patients and we want to include them. And that's where I find men are more responsive when you include them in their care and you help them think about it. Because they want to be around for their family. They want to be around for their loved ones. So if they understand, hey, your risk is increased, but there's things you can do, they're more open to it.
0: To your point, also stories and sharing stories about what risk means, what it means to have a heart attack that can affect the functioning of your heart, how that might change and shift your ability to do the things that you want to do in your life. I found that to be very powerful as well.
1: I bring up my own experiences. I don't know if that's good or bad, but sometimes I'll say, to them, your blood pressure is better than mine, but we have to start this. Or, you know, I'm on more medication than you are. It, I find they do r- relate to that in terms of, I-, I can empathize with them because I've been there and I- I'm willing to share that, you know, selectively at times.
0: That is so true. I think my father makes an appearance in many of my stories. So <laughs> And then I'd love to shift us to cancer
1: screenings.
0: If you could give us your insights on colon cancer, prostate cancer screening, when do you start that? What do you think patients should know about that?
1: And there's been a lot of debate, even in the past year, about what age we start screening. And doctors can be confused and patients can be confused. And people have to understand that we can't screen for most cancers. You know, we can't screen for pancreatic cancer. So the ones that we can, lung cancer, colon cancer, breast cancer, and men do get breast cancer, are things that w- we have to keep in mind, prostate cancer, et cetera. And then to go over with them what that means, and, and I should point out, a lot of patients will say to me, oh, I got a, one of those you know, direct-to-consumer genetic tests. They'll say over-the-counter genetic tests, and I was told I'm not at risk for cancer. And I always explain to them, that's for a very small set of cancers that are inheritable. Most cancer is not even caused by genetics. Most cancer is caused by lifestyle. So colon cancer is one of the biggest issues, and we're starting to see that in a younger age group. And historically, we would say if you're at average risk, and we should talk about what average risk means, then we typically start in the past, we would say 50. Now we say 45. Some people say even earlier, based on family history at 40. And the good news is we have a lot more tests than we did 10 years ago. Depending upon a person's individual medical history, everyone doesn't have to have a colonoscopy. There's other tests that we can do, such as a FIT test and some others. So people do have options nowadays. And it's important to know, even though colon cancer can be slow growing as we get older, you know, that interval of time, you don't have to do it every year depending upon which test you do, but it's critically important. And when you have insurance, it, it should all the aspects should be covered as a screening test.
0: The concept you brought up earlier, FOFO, is really detrimental in a sense because when you do go for these screening tests at the recommended intervals and times and you start them early, that finding could be at a stage where it's curative to have something done. And that is just such a better place to be in than you know, a recent story in my family where the diagnosis was made in the late 70s, where yeah. that surgery, the interventions are just going to be that much harder on you.
1: The area where I do see men ask more questions are in the field of prostate cancer particularly if they're starting to have some symptoms, typically we start in the 40s, maybe around 45 or 50, again, based on family history, something you should talk about to your doctor. The bigger debate is what age do we stop screening for prostate cancer? Because sometimes we'll say men die with prostate cancer instead of men die of prostate cancer. But that's much later in life and really should have a discussion with your physician about getting screened for prostate cancer if you're in your 40s key
0: point. So I think we've given a lot of advice about what we need to be talking to our physicians about when they come in for that primary care appointment. I'd love to shift a little bit and talk about your thoughts on how we can optimize the use of health tech. So wearables in between those appointments.
1: This is audio. So People can't see, but I have a Fitbit on. I don't know if you have one on as well. It sits by my bedside table. (laughs) I thought that doesn't count. But, you know, we really have to embrace this concept that, that health happens outside the doctor's office. And here we have these tech tools that can actually empower patients with more information. So I'm a big supporter of them. And people will say, well, you know, how much can we rely on these? They're not medically great, but they're pretty good especially when we look at trends. So I look at it for me in terms of the number of steps, not that, you know, 7,842 is the exact number, but if I can see on a weekly basis, am I doing more? Am I doing less? Am I putting out more calories or less calories? And it does correlate to weight. I don't get preoccupied with it, but I do look at it every couple of days and I try to look at it on a weekly basis. I think of the importance of sleep, because that can give you an indication whether you need to sleep better. So these tools are only getting better. And we're talking about being able to do blood pressure, which would be a huge step if we're able to get that right. I've had plenty of patients come in that talk about their watch told them they were an AFib, you know, an irregular heart rhythm. Now, often they didn't need any intervention, but I'm happy that they're empowered with information. And I think it helps get people more engaged with their care because we don't want just one measurement in time as we were talking about, that heart rate in the doctor's office once a year, twice a year. We want it on a continuous basis every day, looking at trends over time. So I think these are terrific tools. I wish insurance would pay for it. I wish we could democratize This amount of data that we're getting because it's truly personalized. It's your information that I'm looking at over time, and we need to get away into electronic health record because it's it's hard to act upon information that's not in the right section.
0: Yeah, that's so true, and I think that this is going to lead us into my questions for you about emotional health. But I think this kind of fits in a little bit: is you have to really recognize yourself. What is bringing you? anxiety, what are you going to use as data to take action? And so really, I think your point is so important that you have these data. We want you to use it to empower yourself and to take action and not to sit and fret about what these numbers are showing. And that's what we're here for.
1: Absolutely. And you alluded to it, but I also point out to patients, there's no Physical health without mental health, and there's no mental health without physical health. And I've learned that, to be quite honest, from you and many of my colleagues at WebMD. I didn't always have that mindset, as many doctors don't. And it's something that we're realizing more and more. And for men, it can be particularly challenging to open up that conversation about anxiety and depression, but it's so important to address.
0: And I'd love to end the episode. By giving you the floor, what are your thoughts on bite sized action items that our listeners can take today to be proactive about their health?
1: I think, broadly speaking, better information leads to better health. So, if I can collect more information about how I'm doing on a daily or weekly basis in terms of the number of steps, my sleep, you know, my blood pressure, maybe even my blood sugars through a continuous glucose monitor, all this information is going to allow me to have better health. One shouldn't try to tackle everything all at once. Many of them are interrelated. It's still a key component to go in to the doctor on a yearly basis when you're in your 40s to get checked to make sure that you're on the right path to health.
0: Thank you so much, Dr. White. I really appreciate you taking the time to be with me today.
1: Well, thank you, Dr. Pathak. It's always great talking to you.
0: What I'm taking away from our conversation are sort of two pieces. One is that there's a very important component of what you can achieve proactively through care with your primary care doctor, but there's also this very vast amount of work that you can do outside of that clinical setting using some of these tools and technologies to really measure and take action outside of the exam room. So I appreciate you for putting equal weight on both pieces. Thank you so much for listening.
1: This will conclude
0: the episode. Thanks for tuning in. If you like what you hear, please leave a comment and subscribe. Thank you. We have a great show today, but first...